We are going to be talking today about the new birth being born again from the incorruptible seed of God. And I'm sure that this is going to bless you in a great way. Today we're going to look at Colossians and we're going to go to 1 Peter and we're going to look at what is this incorruptible seed that we are born from? What is this new life that Jesus Christ has come to give us? Traditionally, we have believed that the born-again experience is that which happens to our spirits. In other words, uh, we've talked about the born-again spirit. And you will hear that in a lot of uh, charismatic uh, Pentecostal circles where we talk about the born-again spirit of a man. Where it is taught, and I've taught this myself, but I've come to realize that this is not the way it is. Where it's taught that when you believe your spirit gets born again. And then uh, from your spirit, new life's, life starts to flow. That is not actually what Jesus said, and we touched on that uh, I would say kind of in depth last week, but we're going to repeat some of that and explain all of that in short again and then continue into this incorruptible word, this incorruptible seed. Now, what, what we need to understand is that we as believers need to have a physical body that is born from God. That is what First, that is what John chapter 3 is all about. It is all about a physical body that is born from God. And that's what Jesus said unto Nicodemus. And I want you to just have that in the back of your mind. We need a new body. We thought traditionally in the church that we need to escape our body and we need to get away from our flesh. But Jesus didn't want us to get away from our flesh. He wanted our flesh to be reborn. He wanted our flesh to be a child of God. He wanted our bodies to be born from God, not born from our mothers and fathers, but actually born from God. What we said last week, and we're going to look at that a little bit again today, is that even Jesus Christ had to be born again. Now, you might say back to you, this is heresy. How can this be? I want to tell you that that is, and what I'm sharing with you today, it is what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches us the salvation of a human being. It talks about the salvation of our flesh, not to be delivered from our flesh, but for our flesh to be delivered from corruption. And that is what Jesus has come to bring forth for us. That's why he had to have a physical death. And that is why he had to have a physical resurrection. Now, you might say, well, Bertie, we don't need all of this. And I want to say to you, you do need it. Because the scripture says that the flesh of man needs to be satisfied. And if our flesh is left unsatisfied, we will continually, uh, by, by the flesh, seek satisfaction, and that would destroy our lives. Now, I want to look at that, and we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. Uh, sorry, yeah, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, 
and uh, let us read from verse 7, let's read from verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. In other words, the shadow is the things to come, but the true substance, that which it talks about, is Jesus. Um, let us go down to verse 20. It says, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments or the basic laws, of this world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances like touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish with a usy, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, that translation there says, which are to perish with a usy, and I actually want to say it this way, the way I see that is, why are, we, why are you in these laws wherein you are perishing as you are using it? Uh, it means that by this law, you cannot have life and your flesh cannot be satisfied with life. It is simply um, which are all to perish with the using. So this is going to just pass away. It's a shadow. It cannot bring substance to your life. It cannot give you life. Let's go on. It says here, which indeed have a show of wisdom in world worship and in humility and neglect of the body, not in any honor to, satis to the satisfying of the flesh. So what it's saying here is that the law cannot satisfy your flesh. Now, he was just talking about perishing here. He was saying that, why are, you so, why are you worldly and you're not holding to the head which is Christ? We can read that in verse 19, which we skipped. Let us just go to verse 19 here. It says, and not holding to the head from which all the body by joint and bands having nourish, nourishment ministered and knit together increase with the increase of God. So what he's talking about is, he is talking about uh, having, your, having the body satisfied with nourishment. And he is now saying that the true substance is not in the law. That which satisfies the body can not come from the law. It says here that by the law we basically perish. By the law we cannot have eternal life. And that we all know for the just shall live or have life by faith. So it says here, by the law, we all perish. The whole law system is perishing. It's all falling away. It's after the commandments and doctrines of men. It's just a man-made thing. And a dying man cannot produce eternal life. And, and all of that, that's what it's talking about. It says here that it has got a show of wisdom. It looks wise unto eternal life, but it is not. It is all about humility and worship and neglect of the body, but in not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. 
it cannot satisfy your flesh. Now, what would satisfy the flesh of Jesus? The only thing that will satisfy the flesh of Jesus that would bring satisfaction to his flesh was that should his flesh die, he could have a resurrection of that flesh into eternal life. If the body is dying, what would satisfy the body and bring the mind of man to rest? The knowledge that that body can have eternal life. That is what would satisfy. The, the body of a human cannot be satisfied with eternal life as long as what you are trying to live by the law. The only thing that will satisfy our minds, that will satisfy our life, that will satisfy the flesh, is to see human flesh raised from the dead, incorruptible and undefiled in the eternal life of God. Hallelujah. Now, so many times we think, well, our flesh should not be resurrected because it is so defiled. But I want to tell you that the flesh of Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, is incorruptible and undefiled. And that is what our hope is. Now, the reason why I read the scripture is because each person desires eternal life. That is what we want for our bodies. We want health. We want One of the biggest things we, we want is health. We want to live. We don't want to die. Um, two weeks ago, we were driving back from uh, St. Helena Bay, and someone called us and said, don't drive on this road, there's been an accident. And these were friends that was with us there, and they left just before we left, and they saw an accident. And in this accident, tragically, two school children died. A mom and her kids were driving, and they were in a collision in fog, uh, drove into the back of a truck and uh, both children died and apparently the mom is still in hospital today. Now when we look at those children that die, we feel in our hearts an injustice has, we feel unsatisfied. We don't feel satisfaction when we see that. Uh, we want people to live, even when old people die. In our minds we know that they are suffering and they and they are dying, but even in that funeral, in that burial of that body, we are still feeling, in some form, there's an injustice done to that person, and that they need to be justified. And the only thing that can satisfy the flesh of man, and bring the flesh of man to calm down, to not try and produce life by himself, resulting in all forms of the fruit of the flesh, and sins, and all those kind of things, is to believe and have proof that eternal life is given to that flesh. You know, if I come to you and I know, and, and I tell you, listen, there is, um, I've used this example before, if you're at an airport and they say to you, flight delayed, and you see that thing there, flight delayed, 20 minutes delayed, and then you see one hour delayed. The moment that second delay comes on, you know there's a big, chance of a cancellation. And then if they say flight cancelled, then there's chaos. Because everybody is now unsure. 
they're not knowing where to go. Should they find a hotel? Uh, should they, on what, what would the next flight be? What's going to happen? They don't know. But if they could have had a screen that comes up and say, uh, well, flight cancelled and with names there and the next flight you've already been booked on, I mean, that would, have, that would bring immediate peace. Why? Because you know where you're going. In the very same way with our bodies. Our bodies cannot find peace unless our bodies know that it shall be raised. So here Paul comes and he's saying the only thing that can nourish your body is to cling to the head which is Christ, the physical resurrected man Jesus. And the law can never satisfy our flesh. It is not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh or the socks. It cannot. And we need, and this was the problem with Adam. Adam, the moment he knew his nakedness, the moment he knew his mortality, he started to just, I mean, continued to work by the sweat of his brow, which means to worry. He worried himself unto death, basically trying to work his own flesh to from his flesh try and create eternal life for him. For he didn't have the promise of life, but he had the promise of death. Now the only thing that could give Adam a new life is the promise of life with the surety that his body would be included in the resurrection. That would give Adam a brand new life. Adam had a life born unto the expectation of death. So God had to come and bring a new birth to humanity so that man can now have a life born from the expectation of physical immortality, incorruptibility, without having any flaw in our flesh. That is what we need as humans. Now, some would say this is not needed because, you know, we are just spirits and so forth. I've got teachings on that. The Bible is clear on that. We are not spirits. We are humans, and that is a very, very important thing to understand in order to understand the gospel. Now, I, want, I would like to go to, uh, let us go to, okay, so as a foundation, what I've put down here is that what we want is eternal life. That is what man wants. The Bible says those who seek immortality, God will give unto them eternal life. The Bible says the promise that was from the beginning is eternal life. And now man has to be born again. His body was now born from the earth. His body was born from uh, the parent and then th th that body would find its life in its own physicality and its own ability. But now God had to come and give life to that body. That body had to be born again, not just born from a mother or a mother and a father, but born from God. Because whatsoever is born from God cannot sin and cannot die. So that's what had to happen to our bodies. Now, let's go to John chapter 3. So as an introduction, what I'm laying down there is that our flesh needs to be satisfied. Some people think, you know, you know, that's evil. How can our flesh, be, flesh need to be satisfied? And put it this way, our flesh needs to be satisfied with eternal life and uh, having no blemish. That's what we need to be. That's the only thing that will satisfy us. 
Okay, now, John chapter 3, and um, we're going to read from verse 1. And this is a very famous account, <coughs> which we in Pentecostal and Charismatic churches use all the time. And that's a passage about being born again. <coughs> this born again here, some would argue, means to be born from above, which is correct Greek understanding. Uh, yet we find Nicodemus interpret that new birth not as uh, just be being born from above, but actually as having his own physical body born again. And that is what Jesus also have, have in mind here. And let us look at that. <clears throat> it says here in verse 2, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, but no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto you, except a man is man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? So <clears throat> Nicodemus understood the new birth, or when we look at the Greek words there, to be born from above as a physical birth of the human body. So he says, how can a man be basically born from above in his own body? Must he now again enter into the womb of his mother? How does this work? So Nicodemus didn't doubt the fact that he had to be born again, but he didn't know how it would be possible to have a physical birth again. He didn't know how that would take place. Now I have copied the verses into my notes here, and I've taken what I would call the in-between verses out so that we can just follow the same thought all the time uh, and not be distracted with other things Jesus said, which was also important. But we want to just have that same flow. What is Jesus saying here? It says here in verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very, very, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, and now I'm not going to explain all of that, but that to me means, unless you repent from the law system, except a man be born from water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Nicodemus said unto him, verse 9, How can these things be? Can you see what Nicodemus' issue is here? Nicodemus cannot understand how a physical human body can be born again. And Jesus said unto him, listen, a physical body, you, you cannot, your, your body cannot physically enter your mother's womb and be born again. This is not a reincarnation thing or something like that. No. What needs to take place is, and what you need to understand, what's born of the physical. The physical person that is born from a physical person is simply in nature fleshly and will die. But what we need and the context here is that this physical person 
must now be born of the Spirit of God. Meaning, the Spirit of God must now be the Father of His flesh, of His body. Now how, now even I can hear you sitting there saying, how can these things be? If that is the question you are asking, then you are hearing what Nicodemus heard. If that's the question, you are following exactly what happened to Nicodemus here. And Jesus answered in verse 40. Now we jump to verse 14. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So what is He saying? He is saying, listen Nicodemus, you, what is born of the flesh is flesh. So this physical body that's born from your physical mother is dying. But if your body can be born from the Son of Man that is lifted up, the Lord, which is the Spirit, then you will have eternal life. That's what he's saying. So the whole context here is the physical birth. The, where the spiritual comes in is the physical body can be born from a parent or that body can be born from God. We, find, we have a, a very good example of such a case in the Bible and that is found in uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Let us go there. Like I said to you during the communion, get your Bible. We're not going to be in a hurry. We're going to enjoy this. Glory to God. Listen carefully. And what I want you to have in the back of your mind is two things. Your flesh needs to be satisfied with eternal life, incorruptibility, and with a condition wherein it is undefiled. In other words, it's not like a zombie, which has got, in the movies, incorruptibility, but it is defiled. Now, it is like the resurrected Christ, who is undefiled and incorruptible. And when we define the incorruptibility there, we are talking about His body, because Jesus, we're talking about the human Jesus. He had no bones in the grave. That's what I want you to have in the back of your mind. I need to be satisfied, my flesh needs to be satisfied with eternal life. And the second thing is, the only way it can be is if this body finds a birth from God. And then the question that must be in your mind is, how is this possible? How, what, how does a man have his body born from God, wherein he cries, his body cries unto God and say, you are the father of this body. Because we can easily say, I know who my father is. My father is Khabi Brits. He lives in Sabi in Pumalanga, South Africa. I know my father, the father of this body, but you have to come to a place where you can understand that the father of your body 
is God, not as a concept of God created you, but as a concept of the very life in your body does not come just from your parent, but now comes from God. As what a mother gives birth to a child, so God must be the father of your body. You must have, the question you must have is, how is this possible? So, this is it. You need to be satisfied. You need to have your flesh satisfied with eternal life and in a condition of being undefiled or pure. Pure incorruptibility in a human body. That's the only thing that satisfies the flesh. That will keep you out of not having rest. That's also what it means to enter into the rest of God. Okay, right. Then what you need to have in the back of your mind there is that it can only take place through a new birth. And then the question that must come to your mind is, how is this possible? Now we're looking at that. Romans 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the good news of God, the gospel of God. Now, let us stop right there. For those of you that have listened to these teachings of mine for a while now, you will know that the gospel of God is the good news that God will, has promised us eternal life and that it has started and manifested in the resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel, the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead. Which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So Jesus Christ our Lord was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So Jesus was made. He was born. Was baby Jesus born? Yes, baby Jesus was born. Jesus was born. Uh, 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 he was made according to the flesh of the seed of David. We see that clearly. But he was not declared to be the Son of God by his birth from Mary. It says here, and declared the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so we see here that Jesus was called the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. So he was made of the seed of David, I would just say made in the flesh of Mary, but he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection. Okay, now let us go to Acts, and I know this is, Repetitive for some of you, but it's good. Acts 13, and we're going to read from verse 32. It says, this talks about, let's read from verse 30. This talks about the resurrection of Jesus. It says, God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses, unto the people. Okay, so Jesus was raised from the dead and these people were witnesses of Jesus. Witness of what? Witness of his physical resurrection. 
And we declare unto you glad tidings or good news or the gospel, how that the promise which was made unto our fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he has raised Jesus again, and it is all, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, this day have I begotten thee. Okay now, when was Jesus begotten? When was the Son of God born? When was Jesus declared or begotten of God? Right there, when he was raised from the dead. So we find Jesus being made of Mary, but in order for his physical body to be born of God, he had to be raised from the dead. He had to be raised out of corruption into incorruptible human flesh. And that was not done by Mary. It was not done by any physical uh, genealogy or anything. It came forth by the Spirit of God or the very breath of God or the very life of God. So when the life of God gave life to his body and his body was not made from Mary, but his physical body was brought to a place where it was born of God above death and above the sin it took upon it, then we say this physical body is now born from God or begotten of God. We need to understand that. That's very clear. Now you might say, and you might have a question, say, but wasn't God the father of Jesus because Joseph wasn't the father? I do believe that God, and the reason why that is, is why there was a virgin birth, is because Jesus was the last Adam. Adam was taken from the dust of the earth. Who was the physical father of uh, uh, Adam? God made him. God made him from what? From the dust of the earth. God made Adam. But Adam, after he was made, still had to be born of the tree of life. He still had to eat of the tree of life. So when this Adam fell, God came and created the lost Adam. And how did he make him? He made him from the dust of the earth, and the, God was the creator which made him of this physical genealogy, the dust of the earth. That's how I see that. Yet this lost Adam had to eat of the tree of life and had to be born of that tree, born out of the death he was in, into this incorruptibility. And that, we find, took place in the resurrection. Amen. That's why the scripture says, and we're going to read this again. Let's read from verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. This is Acts 13, 30. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee. What does is, what is the writer of, of Acts try to look, try to portray here? Listen, this was a physical resurrection. That's why he says they were, he was seen many days. It wasn't, we all know a vision. A vision you see today and then it's gone. You don't see it again. If you, 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 you don't find a repetitive vision here. 
You don't find the same vision being seen by so many people over and over. You're finding that Luke is trying to say uh, in his writing here, and Paul is trying to teach, that this resurrection was a physical resurrection, wherein Jesus was born from the dead, or born out of, or away from death by the Spirit of God. And he goes on and he says that many people see, saw him, many. So there's no doubt that this was a birth. In other words, uh, uh, he was dead and then he came alive. It's almost like a child. Uh, if people decide we're going to have a child, they don't, the, the wife has got nothing in her womb, nothing. There's just nothing. There's death in her womb, basically, if you want to call it like that. There's no child. But then, once the sperm and the egg comes together, what happens? Then a child is formed, and that child comes to life out of that almost, hear what I'm trying to say, empty womb. There was no life, now life comes. In the very same way, Jesus went into the grave, there was no life, and now life came. So he was born again. This time his body was not born of Mary. He got the body from Mary, but the life in this body is now born again, but this time it's born of the Spirit, born of God, having no fleshly influence into it, yet it is a physical body. But it is above corruption. It doesn't have any sin in it. Amen. Now you might say, that. does that mean the physical body of Jesus had sin and so forth? The physical body of Jesus could die. That's why Jesus died. If Jesus came as an incorruptible, you couldn't kill him on the cross, or he couldn't die upon the cross, he couldn't give up his life. It would be impossible. He had to become mortal. He had to become man. And we, we need to understand that he had to be created as a man. A man had to, flesh had to be prepared. Now, let us get back to the point. There's so much, and, and that's why I'm going to speak for this for weeks. Uh, touching all the points. But this is the point I want to make. Jesus was seen of many people, it was a physical resurrection. And, he was and, and, and we declare unto you glad tidings, how? That the promise which was made unto the fathers, God fulfilled that same unto us, their children. So what was the promise that God made? It was that which was fulfilled, which was what? In that he raised Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, this day have I begotten you. So he is saying that the resurrection of Jesus is basically the fulfillment, or as it was said in the second psalm, You are my son, this day have I begotten you. You read in Isaiah 9, it says that a child was born, but a son was given. You see, what God has come to give unto us, is a glorified physical human being that has no sin, that has no death. That's what he gives unto us for. That is what we need. Why? Because we are in our bodies unglorified, undignified. Uh, we are in our physical bodies dying full of sin. So what does he have to give us? He has to give us and promise us and bring forth a body that doesn't have any of these things. And he did that by the resurrection from the dead. Now, Jesus was 
raised from the dead and born from the dead, basically, as, as you can see, uh, the scripture says. And now with that in mind, I want to go to 1 Peter. And we're going to look at 1 Peter here. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. It says here, <clears throat> let me read from, sorry, let me read from verse 3. It says, <clears throat> Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, now, we have been begotten again unto a living hope. So what he is saying is, is we, before Jesus came, we had the expectation that we have to live by the law. That's what man thought. Man had the expectation that by the sweat of his brow and human ability, he has to try and attain unto eternal life, to live and not die. That is what man was trying. He was trying, if you go and look at every... All, all the nations of the world, the greatest thing is the fight for survival. That's what it is, to live and not die. That's how technology is formed, because of man's desire to live and not die. That is what it's all about. So man was, when Adam sinned, man was born unto the expectation of death. By his own ability. Adam was made by God, but when Adam believed the lie, man was now begotten unto the expectation of death by his own works. But now in the resurrection of Jesus, God has now come and given a new hope to humanity. For he has conquered our sin and death. And now this message of the resurrection, as we believe upon this message, we find that we are now born from this truth. And we have a life today that is born from holding to the head the resurrected Jesus. So it says here, he has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For those of you that want to think of universalism and those kind of things, I want to just say go and study First Peter in its context. You will see he's talking about the believer here. He's not talking about all people. He's talking about the believer. Yet we find that Christ is unto all but upon those who believe. Because um, I know I'm going to get endless emails saying, well, Betty, the whole world is born again. The whole world is not born again. Jesus was the only begotten. Only begotten is written in John chapter 3. It's written 50 years after Jesus. It's, it's like, you know, and now he says the only begotten. He has given unto us the only begotten. So there's one begotten, and that is Jesus. And those who believe upon him will not perish but have everlasting life. They are now born from this life when they believe upon him. That is very simple. So then it goes on in verse 4. It says here that he, uh, we have been begotten at a new and lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance 
incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are, and now it talks about us, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now church, this is now when I get to the crux of it and, and I think we'll, we'll head into this for the next 10 minutes. The reason why I preach this to you is not because I try to have a new revelation on what it means to be born again or anything like that or try to be controversial. The reason why I preach this unto you is because it is the power of God. It is the power of God which will nourish you with peace today, which will nourish you with love in your heart for your neighbor, which will bring forth contentment in your heart. Why, why do I want you to have contentment? Why does God want me to have contentment? Why does God want us to have these things? Do you know why? Because if you discontent, if you're not content, Let's use finances for example. You will destroy your own life with a lust for more. You will bring terror to those around you because of that thing that drives you all the time. You need to be set and I need to be set free from fear. God wants us free from fear, free from the torture of this world and all those kind of things. And how is God going to get that right? He's going to take one man, raise him from the dead. That man's death and sin that he had had to include us so that we can now have the promise of the resurrection and now be born from that promise. Glory to God. Have a new life because of a new hope. That is how it works. Now he says here, let me read verse 4 again. 1 Peter 1 verse 4, To an inheritance incorruptible is begotten us again unto a lively hope. So we are begotten, we have new lives because we are now expecting to have a new birth of our bodies wherein we will be raised from the dead. As we accepted this and believed upon this, this Spirit of God that, would raise, that raised Christ from the dead has already now entered our hearts and now we are increasing with the very increase of God. That's now what's happening. That's why you live a holy life. It's not because, well, I must live a holy life, otherwise God cannot forgive me and God cannot bless me. And No, no, no. We live a holy life because He's blessed us. And we don't decide to live the holy life. We believe upon the resurrection and from there God lives the holy life in us. It's not us who live, but Christ, the rulership of God over sin and death, living in us. That's what it's about. So now it goes on, it says here, that we have been begotten unto a new and lively hope by the resurrection. So I am now, as Adam sinned and man was now born unto that expectation, have had his life organized according to that, I now, and you who believe in the Lord, we, as we believe in this hope of the resurrection, as we have faith, a persuasion that we shall also be raised, our lives are now revolving around that truth. And that spirit of that truth is now inside us 
and brings this brand new life forth in us. I hope you understand. Now it says in verse 5 here, of verse 4, that this lively hope is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away, reserved in heaven for us who are kept, us who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation that's ready to be real in the last times. That word kept there means to guard, to protect by military guard, either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight, metaphorically, under the control of the Mosaic law, that he might not escape from its power. So what he's saying here is, we are kept under the control of God by having hope of the bodily new birth or the resurrection. As we hope this, God keeps us. That is what that passage is saying. Now, verse 6 says, In this resurrection, we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So he says here, we are kept by God, yet we can be in heaviness. He says you've got great joy in the midst of heaviness. Why? Because even when the heaviness comes, God keeps us, guards us, and keeps us under the control of His resurrection life as we have a confident expectation of the new birth of our bodies in the resurrection. As we believe upon this, the Spirit of God inside us brings forth a life that's robust and strong in this world wherein we have holiness and kindness and love and all those things. Can you see how holiness and love and kindness is not a command, but a fruit and a result of an expectation that we have in God? Now I want to end off with this. I mean, I'm not even halfway through what I've planned to say, but Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also for the, to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live and not perish or have eternal life in their bodies by faith. Now, this passage, and you will see in the Facebook description that I said, this was a passage that I was thinking about for many, many years, and I believe I've come to understand this about two weeks ago, for the first time, about a week and a half ago. This is what it says, that in the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead, and this is going to bless you, because I'm going to explain to you what it means where the Bible says, uh, from faith to faith. From faith to faith. And this is what it means. For in the message that Christ was raised from the dead, 
the good news of Christ, the salvation power of God, is revealed in the believer from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live, and I want to use my own words here, and not die, by believing in Jesus or having faith. Now what is from faith to faith? Very simple. The gospel is preached, and when Jesus was raised from the dead, people had faith that he was raised. But this faith that they had that he was raised produced a faith in them, a persuasion in them, that they shall also be raised. In other words, it's from faith he was raised unto the faith that I will be raised. So the just shall have life by having faith in the resurrected Jesus and what we can be persuaded of will take place in the future, which is our resurrection, which is our bodily new birth. <laughs> Glory to God. And the beautiful thing is, as we believe upon this, we have received the seal of the Holy Spirit, or the Bible says the down payment or the proof of the Holy Spirit, that we shall be made immortal. In other words, when we have the Holy Spirit, it is the seal of our salvation. In other words, it is the down payment or the proof of payment that we shall, in future, be saved from our physical death and have a body born from the dead, wherein Jesus is the firstborn amongst many brethren who should be born in their physical bodies into immortality and as we believe upon this truth we are now born again from this truth in having a brand new life unto the hope of the resurrection glory to god you will if you've listened carefully you'll see there's three stages there but we will get into that next week i trust that this is food for thought this is the power of god unto salvation. We, the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 12 that those who have accepted him, he has given unto them the right to be called the sons of God for they now are not owing their birth anymore to their earthly fathers and mothers ethnicity or the law but their birth is now of God why because they believed upon Jesus and what would the end of that be the end of that would be the manifestation of that eternal life let me use one more example and this this will bless you if I in South Africa they had this thing now called the expropriation of land without compensation and it did strike and still striking fear in a lot of people's hearts because what is happening is <clears throat> there is a change they, they proposed a change of law wherein certain acts in our constitution will be changed so that basically any property can be taken from you by the government if they should see need for it without paying you for it that is, that's the kind of thing. And the main focus is farmland. Now, when that law <coughs> gets changed, and this is the example I used 
explaining to my son, in, his, both of my sons in the car on the way back from the church service we had this morning. When, when that law, when that law is not changed, even if it's a threat, it, it, it's actually nothing. But once that law is changed, you find that the whole of South Africa has now become new. Yet, it's going to need people to believe in that law so that that law can be implemented. And then we will find our lives when we hear, say you're a property owner, you're a farm, farmer, you will have, once that law is changed, and you have got the expectation that your farm is going to be taken, you will now have a life born from that expectation, and you will have been begotten again unto a condemning hope. And you will have a life now born from the truth of the change of that law. But yet you will have a farm. You might still farm on that farm for 25 years or 30 years. And then once that farm is taken from you, then you will now have received the fullness, the full glory <laughs> of that law. But in the meantime, you were begotten of that hope as you believed upon that. And I hope you see what I am saying here. As we believe, as Jesus was raised from the dead, there was a change of law. Those who believe upon this law are begotten again unto a hope. What is this hope? This hope is the, the, uh, the belief of being born, physically born from the dead. This belief already gives unto us a new life now, but in the last day we will see the fullness of what we are born of today manifest. That's how it works. Glory to God. You just say, Lord, I want to understand this, and I want to have a life born from this. I want to tell you, the Lord will open up your, your mind to understand this as He is busy opening up my mind to see this, and as I am experiencing the power that's born from this truth. Glory to God. Well, I want to thank you so much for watching, allowing me to serve you for this 55 minutes with the good news of the new birth. There is still a lot to say about this, but I'm just going to give you this amount of it today, and I trust that you are blessed. Thank you so much for slotting in. Um, and those of you that are watching, that's Afrikaans speaking, please remember that this Thursday I'm starting with an Afrikaans word school. So uh, go to, um, you can go to my Facebook page and just listen to the little video I have there and you can see how to slot into this word school. I will also upload that video. I think it's already uploaded to the YouTube channel, and there you'll find the email address that you need to write to to enroll into the school so that we can send you a link so that you can watch this. It will not be streamed via Facebook or YouTube or any of those things. It is a word school where you will slot in via Zoom, or which is something like Skype, where we will see, I will be able to see you, you will be able to see me, You'll be able to see the people in the studio here, and we're going to talk about this gospel. It's going to be uh, in a school format. So uh, please enroll. I would love to minister to you and share these nuggets of truth with you. So I want to declare to you that you are the blessed of God.
that Jesus, by His resurrection, has begotten us unto a new hope. We can now believe unto a new hope. All of us has been begotten unto a new hope. We who have this hope have a life born from this hope. We are the blessed of God. We are the righteous. We are those who are being justified by the resurrection power of God. Amen, and I'll see you again next week. Yeah.